Hello, welcome to Making Creativity Pay. My name's Dan Barnett and this podcast is about talking to those in creative industries about the business and promotional side of their work. In this episode, I'll be talking to Sunchandrika Chakrabarti about her Edinburgh Fringe experience with her show I Miss Amy Winehouse and how what she learned will shape her 2023 show. So my name's Sunchandrika Chakrabarti. I think the amount of jobs I do probably feeds into what we're talking about in this podcast, which is like, yes, comedian, but also my backgrounds in journalism. And I'm still sort of working in that area. I also do podcasting, teaching people as well. So like teaching adults, not teaching in a school. And so I make money from that as well. So I'm definitely not making my living just from comedy. I'm a kind of, I'm not sure if I fully expect to either. And also, apart from sort of stand up and going to Edinburgh, I do comedy writing for Radio 4. So that's kind of slightly different sort of comedy. And I'm a bit like name a job. And to be honest, I'll probably have to pick it up at some point. We've had that with previous guests. You know, you have to do absolutely everything around getting it out there, getting it marketed, getting it sold, getting a bit of a buzz, as well as the actual doing of the thing. So you probably spend as much time, probably more time, I guess, in, in some circumstances of all the stuff around it and not the actual thing itself and, and what you wanted to do with that. Coming from digital journalism background in particular, that was really familiar to me. Obviously, I, I couldn't know everything about what it is to market a show in Edinburgh or within the comedy industry. But when you're like working on a piece, I used to work for the Mirror and, and work for other papers and news organisations, you are thinking almost at the beginning of like who would be interested. And I think that's true of any piece of art as well, even the most high-minded art, that you want it to be seen and experienced by people. Like Very few of us aim to keep it to ourselves forever. So you do have to think, like, is there an audience? And that audience can't be every single person in the world. Like, I'd love that. But you have to start thinking, like, who would be interested? Why would they be interested? Is it someone like me? And I think that's part of the art or the craft itself. That's also about the marketing. So maybe it's better to not see it as completely separate and this terrible thing we need to hate, but see it as... I want to distribute it to the right people and I've got a bit more choice than I would have done in like 1900. And in some ways, that's a great thing. In lots of ways, it's difficult because it is unpaid. Sometimes maybe you can pay people to do promotion for you. So like you can lose money. That becomes a barrier to the industry. But I will say that if you start connecting with audiences, which does happen, if you if you're doing, I think from the last episode with Stu Gosworth, Jos Norris and Keris Bradley, they were saying, you know, over time you build these audiences, particularly at festivals. That's such a powerful thing. Nobody can take that away from you. Like seeing what's happening at, say, a website called Twitter at the moment, like <laughs> you've built up a huge following there. You kind of don't own it. And so I think it's worth looking at what's beautiful about marketing, which is that you can find that audience and hopefully they love you back and and want to see your stuff again and again over time and, and buy your products and that kind of thing. So marketing is work. I've learned quite a bit about it from journalism. We kind of have to market every piece of content, but obviously there's there's new stuff to learn in comedy and it's it's always an evolving thing that you're constantly learning, I think. So with I Miss Amy Winehouse in particular, which is my first, my debut comedy hour that I took to Edinburgh this year. It started life as like two chapters of a novel and um, and a friend actually introduced me to her agent and it went to this agent and he said, oh, when you have like a manuscript, because with novels you have to send for a manuscript, like 80,000 words or so, um, when you've got that, like I'd be interested in reading it. This is incredible news. And my immediate response was, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> like I'm never <laughs> going to manage this. And it didn't feel, there was something about it that didn't feel like it actually would be a novel. Like, I can't tell you what I've got. I did an English degree back in the day, I used to inhale novels before the internet and I don't anymore. And what I felt it was, was maybe a show. Um, the narrator felt very voicey and I thought this is kind of um, early 2021. So in and out of lockdowns, a really weird time. 
only started stand up in January 2020. So I got used to like those online gigs. And I just thought, is this a show? Should I sit down and give this a go and, and see what happens? I sort of booked in Camden Fringe in August 2021, which meant I had to do this now. And that kind of external accountability could be so helpful for writing. And then just sat down and kind of wrote it in May. I mean, yeah, there's, there's always this question of, well, I don't want to perform this to an empty room. So who would be interested? And so there were lots of things at play, which were that it was um, 10 years since Amy Winehouse had died in July. So that was kind of on my mind as a fan. Uh, but also it's a show that's about grief and about celebrity and about parasocial relationships. And again, like that kind of stuff is in the media. Um, but who, who is it who's talking about it? Who would actually want to come and listen to me explore it in like the comedic way? So for me, it's kind of never without thinking about who would want to come and experience this. I think in terms of making a show or writing something. Yeah. I think I'd always think about who's at the other end, like who would yeah. want to receive this. We've talked on previous podcasts, you know, that's a lot to get into a poster and, or, you know, in, in any other back, back of a flyer, or if you've got that 20 seconds in Edinburgh, when you're, when you're face to face with someone say, come see my show, how do you get all that in or how much can you get in, into, into those kind of brief interactions? Oh, wow. Yes. That's a tough one. So I was really lucky in my artwork, like a really good friend of mine is a graphic designer. And so she did all my artwork for me and she did it for free, which is a huge cost taken. Yeah. Taken on my shoulders. The show's quite, um, nostalgic. It's about like the noughties and like partying in Camden and all this stuff. And she was there with me at the time. So like getting the artwork done with her was quite straightforward. And then in terms of flyering, like my show was at 12, 15 PM. So it was lunchtime, but going by Edinburgh time, that's basically 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> and, um, it's early. It's really early. My venue was, um, kind of the West end of Cowgate. So. You can never know exactly where the centre is going to be every year with Edinburgh, but it's quite far from your Pleasance and your Assembly mm. George Square and stuff like that. And the best bit of all was that it was like a no through road. So there was no foot traffic. So I had to get like inventive about where I did my flyering. And um, I think my favourite bit was it was by the bins. So these huge like dumpsters, um, which I felt gave it that like Camden in the noughties. <laughs> so you have to work with what you've got. You've got to find the fun in that. So like when I was by the bins, I had a flyer for some of it. So I feel like people maybe planned their Edinburgh very tightly this year. Maybe they're up for less time and that kind of thing. I think you've heard this from other people. So I sort of look for sort of women, maybe 18 to 40 or 50. People just make eye contact with you. I'd put a poster on like um, a piece of cardboard and like hold that up. And it's quite an eye-catching design. And so if people look at it, then you just sort of gently make eye contact. I try to be very good about not physically impinging on people's space because it's, it's still a bit, you know, people think about COVID still. Yeah. And also it's not a nice way to begin an interaction. For some people, it's an absolute no, and that's fine. And for some people, they just wanted a massive chat and then they walked off and never saw them again. And like, you just, <laughs> you can't know, you can't know. And I think um, all you can do is sort of be visible and do your best and it can filter through to people and they might come a day or so later. Or in fact, I remember asking, a very friendly couple at the end of my show. They were, in fact, Rob Orton's aunt and uncle, which for people who go to Edinburgh a lot, Rob Orton is a well-known comedian. Um, his aunt and uncle were like well-known for coming to Edinburgh and going to loads of people's shows. And and they were like, oh, this, this is great. And I was like, oh, how did you find out about it? And they said someone in the pub the other night told them to come. And so there's this word of mouthing that's happening incredibly without you even knowing. And so I think you don't have a lot of control. All you can do is sort of make yourself as visible as possible. So, I mean, in terms of word of mouth, I think that was one of the kind of things that was a possible positive around having to do you know, 30 nights is that you can start to build a bit of buzz. Whereas, you know, if you're just at a festival, maybe for me once or twice, you're there and you're gone. Keris on a previous one was talking about, you know, you do the show, you have a McDonald's on the way home and that's your festival experience. 
did you kind of see a progression over time in terms of an audience? Uh, I think we're going to have to say this is a weird year, right? Like um, you could not tell. You can tell. So like I remember that on the Sunday, so I, um, it was a bottom of a church. I had like two up, three Sundays out because they needed the space. And then so on the Sunday, I was checking my ticket reports and um, <clears throat> I saw one person bought a ticket and I was like, okay, this is the third Monday. This isn't great, but like it's been a weird year. And then I looked at the name and I was like, I think I recognize that name. I think this person's from TV industry. Oh no, it's just gonna be me and this person. <laughs> oh my God, I need to find. And then in the end, it was five people in that day, which is a tiny audience. But I think that those are some of the best audiences they often gave me the most energy and then i think the day after we we were back up to like 25 in a 45 seater which felt nice and full but y- you just couldn't tell yeah it made for like a real emotional roller coaster and you just had to think for me i had to think you cannot blame the audience for this you have to be grateful that they turn up but you have to remember there are forces bigger than all of us yes. at the moment do the show the same for everyone and just crack on basically so in terms of choice of venue and pricing things like that, how much control did you have on that so i think that i kind of went in a bit sort of oh god what's going on because there were lots of rollovers from 2020 and 2021 so maybe i took a bit too much time kind of trying to figure out what was going on and so i did end up with kind of a lunchtime slot which wasn't incredible but i did i loved the actual room itself it was really beautiful and um yeah it was just off cowgate which it can be hard to tell how busy that's gonna get i will say the bins probably didn't help not just like being by the bins but this was the year in which the uh people working in maintaining the bins were on strike oh so as time went on um me flyering near them like started off as like fun like cabbage (laughs) in the naughties vibe then it became like i'm not going near that woman why is she standing there these bins trying to talk to us. I think you just had to take it for the weird, unique experience it was. The kind of Edinburgh you hopefully tell stories about in the future. So you, you say, right, I've got a show. I want to go to Edinburgh. How does it how does it kind of manifest? Oh, I, I want yeah. I mean, did, did you say, you know, I, I think, you know, roughly fifty seater is is what I want to kind of pitch at. And then they say there's these six places. This one's good for this, but it's nine PM. This one's a bit better, but it's it's twelve PM, that kind of thing. Um, so the place I actually did mine in the end is a place called Paradise Green. It, it's basically a church on the George VI Bridge, and I was in one of the rooms downstairs. So what they have, which is great, their website is very transparent, and they have like a calculator, so you can choose your time slot that you're ideally looking for, choose the room you're looking for, and then it will give you an estimation, which is brilliant. And then what you do is you actually apply, and they'll come back with like a specific time slot and that kind of thing. So... um yeah, I was looking for as small a room as possible because just the idea of selling out was very appealing. Mm. It's hard to get a room smaller than 40, yeah. I'd say, in Edinburgh. So mine was a 45. And yeah, I was looking for like mid-afternoon. It ended up being sort of a bit earlier than that. But, you know, you just get on with it and that's fine. And did you have complete flexibility on the pricing or did they have like a minimum level? I, I was doing £5 or pay what you want. I think £5 was there minimum which i think yeah like there are a lot of places that charge more and i think it's it's a tough one um i think this is where you get into competition for people's spending power and i just don't think it was an amazing year for people to have loads of money so i did feel like the five pounds of pay want was quite a good deal for me yeah i think it's, it's always difficult around that pricing but you know five pounds i think it's almost impossible to think you haven't got value for money regardless of what it is i think you can't go wrong once it starts to get around 10 pounds then it's a bit more people that maybe expect a bit more of a certain thing and that you know, are not necessarily as forgiving or you know as, as open and and harder to get in through the door in the first place yeah it's so. a tough one i was under no illusions about people knowing who i was i was like completely new um 
doing my debut. So in that sense, hoping the five pounds or like people could walk up. Like, you know, some days we've got loads of walk ups, other days less so, and you can never tell. But just sort of giving people that sense of like, they're going to multiple shows in a day. Yeah, you just hope it just persuades people that it's worth adding to what they've got already because they would already have an idea of what they're doing that day. And I will say like people did also do pay what you want and were generous. And uh, my bucket speech, it was tough to do a bucket speech with this show, I thought, because it was very like, had quite an emotional arc to it. And it felt a bit... Did, did you have a nice segue between the end of the show and please give generously i didn't really do one i've got to be honest with you um but people it felt like people were quite aware like you're holding the eyesettle thing or some up i think i had and yeah. um, oh it's so awkward but um people were quite like prepare people were kind of i think they reminded them maybe at the box office on the way in perhaps okay. if they were walk-ups which meant like you could essentially walk in for free and leave for free Yes, I will say that um, people kind of, ex- if they come in for free and they would expect like, well, I paid to get out is the kind of joke, isn't it? So <laughs> I didn't develop a good bucket speech. Um, that's probably one to think about for next time. So for next year, I know, I, th- I think you said you know, you're already writing your, your your next show. So so, so do, you, do you think you'll be same kind of thing? No, I think it'll be a different kind of show. So right now, um, I'm writing it for an online festival I'm doing in January. So it's Access Festival which is run by comedian Mark Watson. It's going to be your next up comedy, so it'll be streamed there. And just talking to those guys, because we're kind of trying to nail down the tech and stuff that's been done through Zoom. They're like, oh, you know, emphasis on interactivity, which I completely agree with. Um, I've done quite a lot of online gigs and I taught online. And just there's something about staring at your screen, particularly after a long day at work for a lot of people. And it is tough. And and it's also very intimate because we're used to sort of having one-to-one conversations like this, often with friends and family and for me, I've sort of put in, I'm putting in quizzes and slides and things I I'm, I don't want to do for the live show. So I had like a whole slide deck last year. I thought it was necessary for that particular show. Yeah. This year I want it to just be me and a microphone. So we'll have to rewrite the show after that, after the online, after Access Festival. But I don't think it's a bad thing. So I was kind of like, I've performed it twice live and I'm kind of rewriting it a bit. And it's quite fun. And I think it's a useful exercise to think about how does this work fully online and how does this work kind of fully offline? Because what does it end up being at the end of the day? Like my last show, I did my last performance at the Pleasance in London, which is incredible. And uh, I filmed it. And now I'm just thinking like, what do I do with that last show? Like, do I just put it online for free? Do I try and look at monetizing it? But in some way, that show, which was live and for the people in the room, will end up on the internet in some way. And so I tell you, your show ends up in lots of different formats, unless you don't mind it disappearing at the end of the run. So much of of you into into a show, and then you know September comes and you're right onto the next one, which is you know seems such a shit. I mean, do you think you'll you'll bring it back now and again, or you kind of finish moved on from it? Yeah, never say never. Like I, um, I do love that show, and and I think in common with maybe some of the people we've spoken to before that it was a weird Edinburgh where I'd actually been working on it for longer than a year. Yeah, I'll probably I don't know if I'll get that luxury. In the future, it depends. I guess maybe if you miss an Edinburgh, you get more time. But I've been working it for a bit longer. And it was yeah only in Edinburgh that I felt I found a proper ending. And I felt I pulled out all the themes and understood what I was talking about. And then I performed like three times in the autumn. And there was just a nice, gentle sense of feeling done with it. But for now, I feel like I've done everything I can with it. And I'm trying to figure out what this next show is. And as I said, like writing it for online, writing it because like a week or two after I'm doing it with Bill Murray. So that'll be like a proper kind of standing on the stage kind of proper comedy club situation so how does the show work for that and i've got like these new challenges too i mean how do you find the two shows so i mean i miss amy winehouse it's a bit more conversational would that be right 
whereas your new show is a bit more a bit more traditional stand-up, I guess. Yeah, with I'm Miss Amy Winehouse, there's like this uh, um, emotional kind of core to it and there were slides and there were visuals as well. And yeah, like maybe a bit more storytelling to it. And then, so this one at the moment, I'm calling it doom scrolling. Um, I've been through like different names, but I feel like doom scrolling is like the term for it. And um, and also like drawing on my background as a journalist, um, I feel like a lot of what I did in digital journalism was like professional doom scrolling. I want, I really want to just just do like me and a mic. And so I think in that way, then obviously you've got to have those gags. They've got to land on their own a lot more. You don't have the props of having visuals behind you and like, the visuals can work as a kind of, they can undermine you and like have jokes of their own and stuff like that. So yeah, I would like it to be just sort of me and a mic and, and see how that works. Uh, but as I said, right now I'm actually writing it for online. And so I've gone back to having slides in it because I think having some visuals, having, if the audience have to concentrate on a quiz, and it's a silly quiz, but having visuals to look at and then sort of choosing A or B, it makes it easier. So I'm thinking all the time with this online one, how can I make it easy for them? How can I make it really clear for them? So that when I explain, oh, this is how you vote for A or B in the quiz, you don't have this long like spiel about how you do the tech stuff. You keep the energy up and you keep it fun and silly. But yes, then I'm going to have to then think about how that works for the stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess on Zoom, you know, if, you know, if you've got a hundred people on it, you can't, you can't micromanage and, you know, if someone's got a problem with this or problem with that, well, that's just tough luck. And, but that's, that's where it gets, it gets difficult. You have to, yeah, kind of hopefully make it clear enough that you can just kind of push through the whole thing. And that's where like prep comes into it, right? And that's where like it's great the next up in impatient productions who are running it are kind of like, right, what can we do beforehand to see that we're on the same page? And like maybe they say something at the top of the show, like you'll be doing some voting in the show. Um, this is how it works. And yeah, you just want to like not drop out of kind of persona of the person doing the show to be like, right, yeah. tech stuff. But on the other hand, I do think it's really important with um, a kind of Zoom show to give people that feeling of, oh, I'm, um, I'm part of this show and I'm affecting this show. And this person who's um, performing is seeing my contribution. And because yeah. that's kind of, you're missing that energy that you get in the room. And so you're trying any way to kind of try and bring it back. And to sort of, it's a bit like when you're asking the audience, like, oh, what do you do for a living? It's like, how do you make that work in Zoom in a practical way that doesn't sort of kill the flow of it as well? Mm. I guess it's, it's quite different to a live stream where you're watching someone perform to an audience. It's, it's different where, like you said, you, you, know, you, you do have to have that interaction and make them feel that this show is, is unique, that you know, what, what's going on now isn't something that's going to be re repeated. It's, it's kind of different. Yeah, I, I agree with you that um, I was watching some of Next Up's shows from Edinburgh this year. And again, it's down to marketing, isn't it? It's about these audience expectations. And so if you're expecting like, oh, I can't go to Edinburgh this year, but I want that live experience. Great. I can't wait to watch these five shows from the Pleasants or from wherever. Then you always feel like you're in the audience, you're sitting in the back row and, oh, thank God the comedian can't see me. Great. Yeah. Um, but what a lot of people, that is the dream, right? But in this instance, what people are expecting is this, this is an online festival. It's for people who can't be in the room for whatever reason. And I think it's a great thing. I think it's such a good, good idea that Mark's had. As I think people are expecting it to be tailored for them. Mm. And so that's what I'm trying to do my absolute best um, with the show. But I think it's, it's fun to think about it as well. It's fun to think about how do I use this frame? How do I use this very different connection with the audience? It does feel almost one-to-one -one or one-to-two because often people, my people often watching couples yeah. and, um, and like, how, how do I change that relationship and play with it? And, and what can I learn from it? Like, what can I bring from this into the live show, which will then eventually go to Edinburgh? So I think it is a fun challenge. And like, I've done a lot of sort of teaching online as well. And we're to figure out how to 
do that at the beginning of the pandemic, right? So it's those challenges again, but I would say much more fun because this is for pure entertainment and I don't have to teach anyone or uh, reach any targets in that sense. But um, yeah, I think it's the expectations, sort of trying to meet them. The expectation of this kind of show where it's made for online is very different to oh, great, I get to watch the Edinburgh shows because I can't be there. And is it just a one-off you're doing as part of the festival or is it kind of done multiple times across the couple of weeks? I Just just one-off. Um, just one-off, yeah. Yeah, and then I think you'll be able to access it on Next Up. I'm, I'm not 100%, but I think what it is, it's live stream on Next Up and then you'll be able to access it afterwards. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've got a huge amount of content. It's, it's kind of very impressive. I think they've kind of said the Netflix of comedy and, you know, there's, there's, there's something. For everyone on there, that one sounds too much like an ad, but no, it's it's a really good service. If you're um, if you think you're coming up with a with an Edinburgh show, right? Like um, you can't go back in time and see all these shows live. Mm. You can watch so many different people and just think about what works, what doesn't, what your style is, where you fit in, and all these kinds of things. I think it's invaluable for comedians. So um, again, not to be an advert, but I got a membership fairly recently and been a bit addicted. I've been like, oh, how are they doing things? Um, but yeah, I've been watching stuff that I didn't get to see at Edinburgh because especially when you have a show. Yes. And like mine was early in the day, so I did see a lot of stuff, but I could not see everything I wanted to. Um, it's been really nice to catch up on, on yeah. Edinburgh stuff as we get to Christmas. Could you kind of switch off post-show or you know, once one show finishes, you're thinking, right, I've got to get the word out for tomorrow's show? Yeah, I kind of switched off. I mean, there's different things you can do. So like, let's not ignore social media, right? I do some TikToks and I know The Fringe had like a partnership with TikTok this year. So I was experimenting with that a bit, like doing one first thing in the morning. They tended to to be helpful. But um, because there was a small number of us, I think like not like not many people, not a huge amount of people doing TikTok, and they'll do things like the Twitter wall and things on the Royal Miles. So if you had the right hashtags, then you'd see like your stuff up there. There was there was sort of different ways I think of reaching people. And I think the most important thing is to just give them a go. Um, even Twitter, even Instagram. So I try and do this sort of early and take advantage of the fact that it seems to me if you put content out early, it sits there for the whole day and people come to it over the day. Obviously, my show's done by 1.30, but that doesn't mean someone can't discover it by 6.30 and think, great, maybe I'll see that tomorrow the next day. So across the road from where I was, they had the Underbelly Cowgate and they had a great show called, oh, I think it's called Good Grief. And it was this clowning show about grief and it got amazing five-star reviews and I went to see it and it was an absolutely stunning show. Basically, this um, theatre group, they'd lost one of their members and he said before he died that, you know, can you do something in memory of me? So it did this really gorgeous clowning show. And so it's a good idea to maybe be around the area when all the audience are filtering out a show like that, which is something in common with mine, and see if people are interested in your flies. So just trying stuff like that as well, just thinking like, where where's an audience around? Like, what are they doing? Would they want to pick up a flyer of mine, find out some info about me? Because it might help them plan their day tomorrow. So at the start, so if, if nobody came, you know, you set up a show, nobody came at all, sell no tickets, total disaster, worst case scenario. I mean, kind of how much would you be down for the month, do you think, roughly? So, you, know, you, you have to kind of commit to your head, you know, if, if things go totally wrong, it's a complete disaster, how much am I in the hole for? The venue's like a bit over a thousand. So, we're talking over 2,000, just venue accommodation. Oh, um, there's something, um, so outdoor advertising. Um, there's a company called Out of Hand, who do, you know, when you walk around Edinburgh, sort of fringe type, there are these giant posters everywhere on bridges and things like that. So there's a company called Out, Out of Hand who does these. And so I paid for these sort of double posters of my show and there's sort of different zones they can go in. And by the time I'd caught on to this and actually committed to paying for it, like all the central zones had gone, I was like, fine, I'll just try and get a space near my venue. 
But then when I got to Edinburgh, um, came out Waverley Station, um, Waverley's right in the centre of town, Prince's Gardens is next door. My poster was right there, like four of them, right in the centre of town. So they, they did me a massive, massively good one and picked my posters in the middle of town. So the advertising, I think, is necessary. I didn't get PR this year and that is one to consider as well. That's another part of this kind of, I call it that um, I went to Edinburgh this year. I went to a shouting match without a megaphone. Yeah. And um, I think that can be reflected in not necessarily just audience, but like I got one review. I know not many people got reviews or as many reviews as they hoped for this year. Things like that, getting reviews, getting getting people in, PR something to consider, um, but it's not something I did this year. And so next year, how much do you think the balance will be between online and offline in terms of promotion and marketing? I mean, maybe there will be no Twitter. Who knows by then? Oh, such a good question. Yeah. All of us on Mastodon, which I really haven't figured <laughs> no. out. No. Um, I think uh, flyering, I mean, it depends on the slot you get, but maybe flyering is actually something I'd cut down. I think that, do, do we want to get people who are just walking by who, who've just got a slot there? Is that the right audience? Or do you want someone who's like engaging with your social media and has more context of who you are as a comedian what the show is about i don't know um i don't want to put down an audience who's just coming off the street and trying stuff i wonder if it's going to be a bit less of that again because like we're not going to be a wonderful financial state i think Mm. by august i think we're still going to be in cost of living crises i think people are going to be planning ahead budgeting and i think absolutely i wonder if that stage is kind of what if flowering harks back to a time when people are more disposable income and fewer acts to choose between and so there's this lovely kind of medium ground of like do you know what i can give all of these things a go Whereas now I wonder if that marketing job always has to happen earlier in people's experience mm. of Edinburgh as an audience member. I don't have an answer. I don't know. I think the experimenting is really interesting. I think even, even with like doing previews, even with sort of doing my show from January onwards, you're building that online presence of like, oh, right, this is this new show I'm doing. This is the name. This is the artwork, um, which is so important, the image that describes yeah. your show. So I think there's something to say, I feel like building that social. Yeah, I'd probably cut down on the flyering if I want honest. They are really heavy. And storing them could be difficult. Like there's not always space at the venue. Um, if I keep them at home, then I'm taking the bus, blah, blah, blah. So really boring logistic stuff like that might mean that the flyers are cut down to the minimum, but then I'm giving TikTok more of a push. Or I mean, maybe bebo.com will come back. I would love to see that. <laughs> Audiences like that one. So um, who knows? But yeah, I think thinking about what I can do with social a bit more is probably where I'd be looking. And so you're saying about, I think it's the case that uh, space is open in January start booking i think it is from the ed fringe oh yeah but now now so do you see between now and august is it all about building for august or do you see the shows in their own right as performances what's yeah what's interesting is that with i miss amy winehouse it kind of felt complete like i'm really seeing the difference now i kind of wrote it all in one go and i definitely had to polish it and hone it and the perform the performing did that and really helped with that. But this year I'm finding like I've really rewritten this show. I think when I first did it, it was in July last year, the second show, which I'm changing the name of and all these things. And um the night when I did it was the night we all thought Boris Johnson was gonna be standing down, but you like hung on till the next day. And so it was this really like febrile political atmosphere. And it is a quite a political show. But now people don't want to be reminded of that time. I mean, we're like, how many prime ministers after that? I can't remember <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Um quite a lot and i'm finding that people don't want to be t- like on that night it was a great atmosphere for the show but now people either can't remember it which is fair enough or like don't want to remember it because it's a bad thing to remember it's such a sign of like how fragile a democracy is so thinking about how would you make a show that is quite political now but like have it stay relevant yeah and i think for me i'm going to be doing rewrites and so it's gonna be a very different 
I'm a Amy Winehouse. And you also have to think about the show you're going to be doing because you want to get people in, you want them to have a good experience. So yes, it's building to like something hopefully much more polished and something that feels done as a show for Edinburgh. But yeah, I'm seeing that I'm going to have to keep doing lots of rewrites. Really thinking about like how much people want to be reminded about politics in this really grim moment we're living in and how much it's worth putting in like more personal stuff and putting in more kind of universal stuff. So I think this is more of a challenge this year for me. Oh, you said about, you know, finding your audience, but with anything political, there's always the issue that if you have a particular stance, you almost alienate half the people to start with. You know, and that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, there's plenty of people out there who you know their politics and they've got a huge audience. You know, that's, that's fine. You can't please everyone. But there is always the risk that, you know, before you start, you've lost half the population, maybe. I mean, I have often asked that there are Tories in the audience. They always say no. <laughs> I don't think I am reaching the Tories. And I don't know if I will. The door is open to everyone, guys. The door is open to everyone. But I will say, like, even with a show called I'm a Sammy Winehouse, already I had to take the kind of hit that, like, there are people who are going to go, I've got no time for her. Or I barely know who you're talking about, or, or didn't care for her music, and and sometimes I got like a couple of responses like that from flyering, and I was like, "Cheers, got you, no worries." So I think any show title and any show theme could potentially put people off, and you can't read anything about that because you've got to have a theme, you've got to have content, and you're going to have something a bit personal in there probably, and you're just never going to be for everyone. That's even before we talk about like identity. So there'll be some people who are like, "Oh, look, there's a like a." Asian female comedian, like, oh, she she ticks all of my demographic boxes and there are like a million comedians like her. I would love to go and see her. And for other people that might be like, eh, there are other people like her, I'll go and see them. Or like, she seems fine, but like, I want to go see my favourite TV comedian. Like, you can't win. Um, but what you can do is sort of extend your hand and say, look, I'm, I'm trying to do a thing here and you might be into it. Um, give, give it a go. And... Yeah, if that does mean Tories aren't finding me, I mean, I can I can keep working on that. I think they've got bigger things to think about at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of previews, kind of talking about the, the business side of things, are they effectively a lost leader towards Edinburgh, which itself, I feel, you know, it's all it's all very difficult because you know you see sometimes you know you see a great bill, four four acts, it's eight pounds. You kind of think. How on earth is anyone making any money out of that? Yes, it's so interesting, isn't it? Um, So what if I have previews, and I mean like sort of just my solo show previews, sometimes you pay for them, sometimes they pay you. It is a confusing wild world out there and you just never know what you're getting into. But I think from my experience last year, I kind of got a sense of people I'd love to work with again. Um, So I have to absolutely shout out Brixton House Theatre. Um, which is like a fairly new theatre now. So they they opened um, with the housemate season last early summer. I have a show in, in May last year. And over four performances, they they paid me a really decent amount. And they, they asked me to set my own fees. Um, This is all new to me. I had to go and ask advice from people. I was like, they're asking me. They're asking if they can pay me. And so that was that was uh, wonderful. And yeah, they're, they're trying their hardest to, to work with artists in a way that kind of makes sure we're com- well compensated. And so everyone go go to Brixton House Theatre as an audience member because they're fantastic. Other than that, like, it's what I'd find with hiring places in London in particular. Maybe you look like 60, 40, 40 to 80 pounds for an hour, maybe. And then a cut the ticket sales. So yes, yeah, so you have to think about how many times you want to do that. How often can you get an audience in, like just in London? Mm-hmm. Or are you going to go to Bristol? Are you going to go to Manchester? Are you going to go to other places? I think there's a lot to be said for trying to be part of festivals. It, a festival for me kind of works like a giant mixed bill. So someone will go like, for instance, in Manchester Women in Comedy Festival last October. It's a brilliant festival. I think you could start applying for them in January. 
what's great about that is so they obviously do marketing and they'll have the sort of really big names but then as people look down the website they'll see your show and so it's worth thinking about like what's the context my show would exist within so the venue might cost this much or it might, might cost xyz to register but is my name like alongside all these other people will they be doing social media that includes me yeah. and so that says that gives you a bit of value for money doesn't it so last year's experience taught me to think a bit more like intelligently about what the return on investment is and also you might get paid as well so ask around talk to people that you know see how these venues are treating people go in and ask them what what their financial deal is and it doesn't mean you're committing to it mm. But it's basically completely random. It's all different. And my favorite thing is to try and be part of the season, try to be part of the festival, because you know, your show doesn't have to do tons, as much heavy lifting with the marketing. And you get to meet other people and you're in yeah. the same boat. And then they tell you about other places they've done their show and then you find out about how they work. So yeah, I think it's a lost leader, but it costs much less in Edinburgh usually. And again, you're building that audience and people will come and see you more than once, incredibly. And they will tell other people. Yeah. And actually, quite a few of my friends very kindly did this to me. When they knew friends of theirs were coming to Edinburgh, they said to come and see my show. As the, those of them who'd seen it, they could say, like, it's the show's about this. I think you'll enjoy it. So it's really worth doing those previews as much as you can. You can also try and get reviews if you're that way inclined. That can, that can help you put stars on your posters and things like that. So generally, I'd say they're not breaking the bank too much. But it's worth thinking, like, if you're based in London, if you can get out of London, because they will be cheaper venues. Mm. And also, like, can you get into festivals and seasons? One of the other things about talking to comedians about what they do, it seems as if, yeah, you've got a lot of one-person companies and there's almost, I mean, it's kind of happening, I guess, to some extent with, with Mark and the Access Festival, almost like a kind of a union, for want of a better phrase, you know, where if you kind of said, you know, I need help with flyering, I need design, blah, 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 you know, instead of... 2,000 acts trying to find their own designer and their own people to do the flyering. I think people do understand that, that it's it's so difficult to do everything on your own. And you're this kind of one-person band. You're, you're thinking about the business side, the marketing side, as well as the artistic side of getting your show done. So um, really, Facebook is like a really good place for comedians. There's lots of groups you can join. There's groups like Edinburgh, Edinburgh Performers. There's groups um, offering gigs like during the year. There's, there's even a group for to find flyerers i suppose nothing beats like your own friendships mm. i'm sure a lot of this stuff is happening in whatsapp groups and conversations people are having on a personal level and it takes time to build these friendships in comedy like for me i've started in pandemic yeah a tough time to get to know people going to edinburgh is a good way of of meeting people and getting to know them and someone said to me when we were up there going to edinburgh is like going on tour but you stay in the same place and the audience has come to you yes and then like you'll bump into the same people and you'll say how's it going and you have the same conversations and they don't always feel great but like they're quite emotionally bonding i think it's called trauma bonding <laughs> and um always fun there, there can be a lot of generosity of spirit because everyone's been in your position and i've mm. been new felt alone and kind of gone how do i navigate this world so yeah face there's facebook groups there are things like listening to stuart goldsmith's um podcast comedians comedian like there's a group around that and there's loads of comedians in that and like people give each other advice get on twitter get on instagram like follow people see what they're talking about so when do you need to kind of nail down what it's called the visuals and all that kind of stuff for edinburgh um well i'm gonna be applying for my venues so i think it's gonna be called doom scrolling isn't it <laughs> um, i'm not sure how much i suppose like mate i don't know but if the place with edinburgh until the brochure is printed i think their deadline something around like eight but it's probably better for because it must go through lots of layers of people at these venues. I think it's pretty better for my application to like have nailed down a name, 
now. Um, so I think I feel like Doom Scrolling gets like had, like you had more of a reaction to it as well. Like it says something. Yes, um, you get a sense of like, oh, she's talking about that side of life. So I think I think it's probably the one. But um, yeah, it's interesting the kind of artistic choices you have to make way in advance. Yeah. And with I Miss Amy Winehouse, it felt like a package. Like I knew what it was called. It was all there. But this year, it's been much more like work in progressy. And like, I need to learn. I need to learn. It's going to be more like this. So yeah. And in terms of Edinburgh being the pinnacle. It feels like for you that everything's kind of working around that August deadline, you know, of kind of when you do things. Do you think that it'll stay that way that, you know, you, you do your show, maybe take a bit of time off and then January you start up again? I think it's been more about timing for me that um, I start like, so basically, um, so Vault Festival was cancelled this year and I'm really I'm thrilled that it's going ahead in 2023. And what they did was say, um, they came back to a lot of us and said, oh, we've got this um, new material festival, a pincher vault in July. Would you like stage time? Blah, blah. And then I had ideas for this new show. And again, it's, this is about like how much I need deadlines and someone externally to go write it down, do it. So I took the opportunity to just write about 45 minutes. Um, very rough and the audience were aware it was going to be a work in progress festival and so I did it in July um, I can't imagine that will happen every year but I just meant that I'd nailed something down and like a page with scribbles on it. it's better than nothing but like the festivals are coming back so you can have Vault you can have all these other festivals I don't know if my year will always run like this because I don't know if I'll have an idea every year <laughs> um, but what I will say about Edinburgh what was so great about it is that it did make me improve as a comedian having that many performances in a row made the show just like run probably the best it could be like even when i was doing it a couple of months later in the pleasance i was like right i really need to get some rehearsal time in because i i feel rusty and not having done it every day and not having kind of lived and breathed it yeah so there's there's something that that's what edinburgh kind of gives you in that way that is really valuable but um would it always be this way i don't know i think um the landscape of comedy is really changing there's lots of you know there's online stuff there's lots of different ways to do it i don't know but the timing really works this year i think my show's probably like on track for a kind of Edinburgh timetable in a mm -hmm. way. Thank you so much for your time on this. For an end bit, you want to kind of talk about what the new show is and where people can see it. Sure, yeah. What, um, what it's called now and what it might be called in the future. So, um, so I was originally calling it Reunion slash After Party. And so it's called that um, when I'm doing it at the Bill Murray on the 29th of January, when I'm doing it at Vault Festival on the 21st and 22nd of February, and when I'm doing it at Glasgow International Comedy Festival, which is the 22nd of March. So it's called Reunion After Party. If you can spell Sir Chandrika, you can find it. And then I've had a bit of a change of heart with that title because I think that title is one of those, it's one of the show titles that I get, but like, I don't think it tells the audience enough about what the show is. And so I did kind of love it. I was kind of attached to it, but like, I don't think it's doing the job it needs to do, which is to tell the audience, hey, the show's about this. So I've, I'm thinking the word doom scrolling, like yeah. just summing up a lot about our lives at the moment and also like my background as a journalist because that was like intense premium doom scrolling so i'm calling it that that's what it's gonna be called at access festival which is smart watson's online festival will be your next up comedy in january um 7 p.m 16th of january is my show i've booked things through to march and then who knows thanks for listening and thanks to Sanchandrika for coming on the podcast there's links to where she'll be performing in 2023 and lots more in the show notes if you enjoyed this check out the back catalogue for previous podcasts with other Edinburgh Festival performers along with other episodes talking to people in a range of creative industries about making creativity pay